0: Right. Hey guys, we are here with Paul the Eggman. Should I call you Paul or should I call you the Eggman? Which do you prefer? Well, let's, why don't we stick with Eggman? With Eggman? Yeah, it's I like easy. That I it's to easy to it. So, the Eggman is my fellow neighbor at Art 150 Studios. Right. Um, and we finally get to sit down. And thank you so much for being here, being part of my podcast. Well, thanks for having um, me, Tariq. Of course, my pleasure. I'm so glad you get to learn about your process and your fascination. I mean, your fascinating work that's so detailed, and I have no idea how you do it, but I'm so glad you're here today to tell us about it. So would you mind start by telling us a little bit about yourself?
1: Sure. Um, my work is on and with eggshells because I grew up in a Ukrainian-American family in the States, and I learned this traditional folk art that we in Ukrainian call pisanke, which is derived from the verb pisat, which means to write, and I'll tell you what that all means. But you might know these as Ukrainian Easter eggs. They're kind of these fanciful, colorful, deli- you know, designed, beautiful things that come out this time of the year in spring is the time when people are making these. And um, it's a really ancient folk art that I learned since I was maybe 8, 10. And I was taught by my mother, which is kind of traditionally a Ukrainian family. And I really took to it. This was the kind of funny thing about that happened because my mother taught my other siblings, but... I was the one that really kind of took to it, and I started being really good at doing the process, oh, wow. which is essentially batik on an eggshell. So what that means is that the process is using wax as a resist to a dyeing process. So a design gets created by what we say is writing wax on an egg, not drawing. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is because the practice in its original form, which is maybe at least 3,000 years ago, and it's, all, it's like it could be older, it's this folk uh, magic practice, is really what it is, because yeah. what you're doing is you're taking a fertile egg, because in the practice you're supposed to be using the children of the rooster, because the rooster chased away the evil night spirits, So the rooster was considered a magical bird. So the children of the rooster would be magical also. So this means a children of a rooster means you've got a fertile egg, Uh right? Which means you could like eat it, raise it to a chick, or you can make magic with it. And what people were doing was taking the life force and considering that powerful and ascribing how they would use that power by writing with wax on an eggshell what they wanted that power to be used for so all of that beautiful decorative motif that you see is actually a language of symbols and these are symbols that are a language conveying the intention for this magical process of using an egg to become what we would say in English is a talisman and so there'd be different uses so like there'd be you know protective signs so there'd be like protect the house from fire and lightning what you know what are the needs of a you know bronze age period agrarian society healthy crops healthy animals healthy people protection from fire and lightning you know things like that love you know cures from sickness there's actually symbols to help old people go to the other side
0: oh wow like
1: it's this image of ladders it's image of ladders on the side of an egg that's meant to be given to an old person to help them pass on Wow, that's quite no, it's really beautiful. That's I mean, it's really it's really yeah. interesting, and so there's this whole language of symbols that shows up that are then used for how the user would use them, you know, based on what their needs were, and so that's what this was originally. And so it's really fascinating to me that this practice um, was preserved, and actually, I mean, we're still talking about it yeah. in this kind of post-industrial age because one of the things that you may know is that f- folk culture dies with industrialization That's true. you know because people are moved off of the cycle of living on the land yeah. and with it goes a lot of knowledge about and also usually in cultures with modernization there's the loss of folk culture you know but this hasn't happened in Ukraine interestingly mm-hmm. because Ukraine wasn't really industrialized till the Soviet period I mean there had been some industrialization earlier but, like, my grandparents came over before World War I, and so all of this was retained, and then it's just passed on. Oh, that's amazing they kept the tradition. I yeah, and so, that. for instance, in Ukraine, this is the thing that, I mean, just to speak around current events, yeah. the tenacity of these people holding on to their folk culture that I could be talking about it today and knowing what it's about. It's not only, like, what it is, but it's knowing what it is. It's knowing what the symbols mean for the most part. You know, so that there's, the, there's this connection and that tenacity of holding on to that is the same kind of tenacity that these people are doing to save their country mm-hmm. during this invasion yeah. and how creative they are actually in their, you know, initial, especially the initial response where everybody thought they were going to be run over in a minute. You know, but they all rose up and they were like, you know, one of the things I saw just, this is a total sidebar, but, but, you know, I saw this one journalist talking about when he was first there, when he was running into these people and talking to people who were prepared that the Russians were going to show up in their town and that these guys had like rifles, like hunting rifles, but they had a stack of Molotov cocktails prepared. And he was saying, well, where did you get that? I'm like, well, the old grandmothers are making the Molotov cocktails. Oh, wow. So it's just fascinating that yeah. people, like, all, like, rose up together yeah. and, and started whatever doing yeah. whatever self-defense meant yeah. in that moment, and they got themselves prepared. You know, so anyway, <laughs> this is a side thing, but it really, um, you know, this is something that kind of also got translated to me by my mother. Mm. I could... Thank her for this. It was like my interest and in my love of things Ukrainian, and yeah. my pride in my national heritage. And I have a question: Did you learn all of this as a kid, or like the more
0: you begin like to, you know, work on your practice, you found out little by little, or like
1: did you learn anything? Well, the end? both and. I what mean, there was, was stuff. There was stuff that then I would run into or find, or articles I would find yeah. later on when I was an adult, where I was already working in mm-hmm. it, or like there's a book that I found that came out of Canada, which is a really great kind of. Really, it's an ethnographic study of these designs that's laid out in this album of all these plates that show you like regional designs, like this region in Ukraine had this kind and this or or this or even things that are in the diaspora, or things that, and then pointing out the various related symbology and putting symbols together on different pages. So it really got me to see, you know, the extent of, at least to the extent that some of the stuff has been cataloged you know, and so finding out, you know, and then kind of like just learning from, you know, reading just articles that people yeah. had written, you know, there had been ath- actually supposedly some serious academic study that began happening in the late 19th century by Russian ethnographers, mm-hmm. and I don't know their names, but there's a couple of pieces that were written, and I've never read them, I don't know if they've ever been translated, I don't know Russian, so, yeah. um anyway, so you know, there's some of that that has happened, but, you know, again, the thing, again, is uh, the the practice is still alive, and actually, um, uh, this is a good moment to relate yeah. a myth that I learned about this practice that supposedly comes out of the um, Carpathian Mountains among what are called the Hutzel people, oh. uh, who are in the Carpathians, and they have this belief that the fate of the world is dependent on the making of these eggs. Wow. That they have this belief that there's this like monster that's chained to a cliff, uh-huh. and every year his like emissaries go out and count the number of pisanka that are made, and if there are a lot made, his chains are tightened and love flows, but if there aren't many made, then his chains are loof- loosened and evil abounds, and if the practice should stop, he will be loosed on the world, and the world will be destroyed. Oh my God! So the chain gets cut off, basically. Right. Oh, right. Wow, that's so interesting. It's really interesting, yeah. like
0: folk myth. Such a like. You know, but interesting background. So yeah, so well, you know, it's it's
1: it's that. really it's deeply. Let's just say it's deeply rooted. Yeah. You know, it's really deeply rooted, and, and you know, and here was another experience I had was. My family used to get National Geographic, like most middle-class white families did in America in the 1960s and 70s, right? We all got and in the April 1972 edition, so I'm like 11 years old at this point, already making these eggs. There's a whole full-page article in the National Geographic about these eggs. And it comes with this, you know, Spread of all these eggs with really intricate designs that I'd never seen, and it became my template yeah. for perfecting you my craft. Yeah, I still have. Oh, well, actually, the original edition, I, I got so messed up, but I ended up ordering from National yeah. Geographic another copy that I, I still have. Oh, wow, that's amazing. Yeah, and so there was this a template of these eggs that were made, they were from a collection of someone, I think, in Minnesota or something like that, where there's a lot of Ukrainians. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, and I'd, so but these were co- more complex designs, and I started copying them. And but to perfect my no own, for that. so like eleven, oh, wow. I'm perfecting my yeah. ability to draw and do these more complex designs wow. by looking wow. at that. And there's still, I could show you. I'll show you in the studio at some point. I'll show yeah, you. I, that. I could Love show that. you ones that I still have. that You could see. Yeah. Like, oh, that's that design. That's that. Oh, egg. wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. And
0: yeah, yeah. I have a question. Um, your creative process. How do you get inspired? Like to come up with designs. Are you like referencing books or? previous article as a kid that you
1: saw well I'll say that you know in a sense with asking that question you're kind of if you're going to jump into the present you're talking to someone who has now been professionally working for over 30 years so those inspirations have changed over time yeah you know so for instance for me inspiration always comes from nature okay you know nature is like a primary Uh, source of inspiration and beauty and and also it's shown up in my work a lot Mm -hmm. Um, often like for instance the interesting thing for me is like as someone who draws for instance I usually only really like to draw landscapes that inspire me and it almost has to be like at a certain I have to be inspired to draw it can't just be any landscape yeah and mostly it's something that's totally out in nature and is away from anything human. You know, this is just me. Yeah. You know, so for instance, if you looked at my drawing book, I'd show you like dozens of landscapes. Yes. So do you carry like a sketchbook around with you? Not a lot. No. No, no, not a lot. So I'm not that type of an artist. I'm usually more thinking about stuff and doing sketches in my studio oh, okay. related to things. So for instance, you know, um, like right now, I'm working on a show that's going to be up this summer in Provincetown. Um, that are, <laughs> it's kind of funny, but I'm they're ecstasies is what they are. And of course, everybody's going to want to call them ecstasies. Yeah, you well, know, just catch, yeah. you know, just as a cute catch. But I'm going to, I'm not going to call them ecstasies. But anyway, but they are. I mean, the the idea of the show is to use intensive patterning. Of, of imagery that is batik to describe like what an ecstatic moment is like
0: yeah
1: so um actually in the show i have in the lobby there's a couple of like pieces that i've done that have been studies for this so i mean that's what i'm working on now you know and sometimes the inspiration um It really kind of depends. You know, like a a recent piece I did was related to the war in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. I did this kind of classic reproduction. I've done a lot of work that is based and relates to Attic Black, what's called Attic Black pottery. It's 5th century BC Greek pottery. And the reason I first went there for inspiration is that there was a lot of homoerotic imagery that I liked being gay. And so Mm -hmm. as a gay artist, it was a place to like find yeah. actual erotic imagery yeah. to reproduce and what it ended up doing by doing that is it actually taught me line drawing in a way to do figure drawing like i've I'm, I'm not professionally trained as an artist oh, I'm totally self-taught so I've taught myself, like for instance, how to do figure drawing of a particular style by doing this copying of this work of, of oh, pottery design. Yeah. So working with the human figure in that way. So that's what led me into so but I'm I use um Greek pottery design a lot because I can reproduce the effect with a strong line that a batiked waxed line on an eggshell on an eggshell will do. So I can create a similar image relatively easily so that's why I'm going to it a lot Um, but I just did this image of in the response to the war in Ukraine this that three by three foot piece of Ajax carrying the dead Achilles it's probably one of the largest flat pieces I've done and it's out again out of that you know so you know so that's an inspiration so how do I respond to the war and to me it's like looking at this Greek pottery pottery because there's a classic image that comes right off of pottery that's been done several times at different styles that I was able to look at, which was interesting when you start studying the imagery on the pottery and you see how different pottery artists yeah, did yeah. the painting.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, because each one of those people, m- probably men, were yeah. like you know, quite as you know accomplished, especially as Greek pottery then progresses into like red figure pottery the the detailing and the design on them become even more detailed and like fine than even black figure pottery but um so sometimes i'm referencing both Um, because one of the things that um, i've used as a studio moniker is this idea of what i call ancient design for a new world view and so i'm often looking at you know I've looked at Greek pottery I've also looked at a lot of like classical Chinese Vietnamese Japanese Korean pottery for inspiration mm. um, and the thing about this whole ancient design for a new world view to me is about um, thinking about that there's a certain wisdom that was carried in the societies of those people classical periods and to extract some of that imagery because of almost what would be a a subconscious or unconscious type of knowing that comes in the image. Mm -hmm. Like what is the like for instance with the Ukrainian egg design you know what is being translated besides the image and the intention for that image to use but how how what is the psychology that shows up in the empowerment of a person doing the process but also in conveying whatever the, the strength of the image and what is the image conveyed to, to oneself as a human, you know, rooted in that process. Yeah. You know, and what's the wisdom there that we lose in our current worldview where we don't... You know, like our world... One of the things, one of the things that I, I like to think about is because of studying classical culture is that you know we think that now because of our technological advancement that we have a higher standard of living or a better culture than what happened before and i think we i think we're foolish if we think that because first of all we don't know exactly but their worlds were more highly decorated in a way that, for instance, our world used to be, say, in the 19th century, when you just look at, for instance, architectural design and the development of architectural design and then how modernism strips that away, right? And is design not a humanizing factor in architecture? And what happens when we go sleek and modern as we do. I mean, I'm, I'm very much, I love modern architecture. It doesn't mean that I'm, I hate it, but I'm just wondering, oh, yeah, like, getting, yeah. what are we missing
0: yeah.
1: in the humanizing elements that happen when we're living in a world that's mostly glass and steel and yeah, marble and, and concrete matter, yeah. and, you know, hard surfaces. That, cold surfaces. And cold, yeah. hard surfaces, right, yeah. with cold, hard colors. You know, and what does that do to us temperamentally and, you know, emotionally and also soci- sociologically? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. what is the, you know, so creatively that's. Creatively, too. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, you know, so in any event, so I, I just think there's a lot of value that shows up in these ancient designs. And I'm just trying to bring them forward as a way of, like, looking at. You know how does this relate to you know also our contemporary concerns yes. and our contemporary aesthetics as well at the same time you know so that's the reason for that moniker and what I've been thinking about it you know as I've been working over the years you know it's always that there's this um, it's always becomes for me that kind of touchstone of like mm-hmm. why I'm choosing certain things versus others like yeah. so for instance um, here's here's a story of an inspiration as it were one of my best friends died a couple of years ago oh, of cancer. It was really rough. He was really like, really like the person that I would hang out with all the time, oh, so you know. And you know, and so and we did art together because he was a filmmaker and I was in a number of his films, etc. Oh, wow, so, that's so cool. yeah. So I mean, really close relationship. So, you know, um, sometime in the year before he died. Friends of mine came up from Florida with a box of cassowary shells from a cassowary farm. Oh, wow. Right? Yeah. In Florida. Right? Cassowaries are this really crazy bird that come out of Australia and Papua New Guinea, but have this amazing shell, but these were broken shells. And so, you know, I decided, I didn't know what I was going to do with those shells. They were just in my studio for a while. I didn't know what to do with them. You know, I was going to do something. Well, anyway. So it just came to me after he died that I wanted to do some kind of piece that was kind of an ode to him, you know, a piece of remembrance. And so what I decided to do was I realized that I would use those cassowary shells to do the piece because they are so rare and unique. And this friend of mine was so rare and unique, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? So to me, it was the perfect use of those shells But what I did as a way to commemorate his loss was to reproduce um, a funerary scene that you see in what's called Athenian geometric pottery, which is those big pots you see in the Met Museum. They're like 7th century. You see those big, and there's always a scene of a guy on a beer and all these people mourning and everything. Yeah, it was like an image like that of him like he was laying on his bed, dead, and all of us around him mourning. But the thing that i was able to work into the image i mean it you know a friend of mine ended up buying the piece from me but i was able to he lived in this amazing apartment on the 17th floor that in the in the west village right at the corner of sixth avenue and waverly so he was in the old waverly building yeah so he's on the northwest corner on the 17th floor just under the penthouse and so he has this view of the city that is unparalleled yeah. I mean I, I could show you images from his it's kind of I mean, just yeah. breathtaking because the city kind of oh, rises yeah. up from there yeah. you know and he's mm-hmm. looking almost directly at the Empire State Building from his bed oh, wow. you know what I mean so mm-hmm. this image so I was able to work the city the landscape through the window image in the piece oh, wow. you know what I mean as a way of then commemorating him that's
0: beautiful
1: you know and doing this piece I showed it last a year ago um in a couple, you know, the show that was in January of mm. a year ago, okay, in in the gallery yeah. at one hundred and fifty, and then it turns out this Barb, Barb, his best friend, bought it from me. Yeah, as oh, you wow. know. So, if you have pictures, I would love to share them. Yeah, with yeah, the Instagram yeah. Instagram account because that's beautiful. Yeah, no, I could show. That's yeah, I could show you. Yeah, yeah, I could show you that. Yeah. So it was. Yeah. So um, and and so what that ended up doing is then inspiring the whole show yeah. I did last summer. Wow. Where, I was yeah. working. I did some work with casserole, but mostly then it was with emu shells. Mm -hmm. So the inspiration here then becomes translating the process of using wax as a resist to etch the shells, because within this process, um, these shells have a very dark surface like emu shells, but they get lighter in tone the deeper you go in. Mm -hmm. So I'm exposing those colors by drawing wax on the shell and then putting it into an acid bath to etch the shell. The acid I'm using is vinegar, so it's a slow process, yeah. but what I'm doing is capturing the different tones of color as it gets lighter and lighter oh, wow. as it moves in, and the shells are already attached to wood, so they, then that becomes the process for creating, like challenging myself to create landscapes, etc., using this process. So that's was what that show was. Mm-hmm. But it was interesting that the initial inspiration was to do this piece as a memorial yes. to my friend Charlie, yeah. who had died. You know? So you know, inspiration comes in many forms, yeah. you know, in many places. That's amazing. You know, so, yeah. yeah, so it's, yeah, I mean, there are experiences that, you know, like, for instance, again, the show this summer is going to be based on personal experiences of what I've experienced as ecstasies. Oh, wow you know so you know there are, you know different images and then the challenge for me is to then try to convey the experience obviously through the artwork yeah. you know you know and what I'm doing yeah. you know so that's I yeah.
0: wanted to go back to the previous show you have right now R150 uh-huh. in the lobby first right. of all congratulations well thank you thank this you this episode will be published I think before this week so people can check it out um, how long is the show going for it's gonna be up through March. Through March, okay. Right. And I haven't been able to go there because I've been busy with the podcast, but I definitely make it prior to the end of this week. But I did see some pictures of the of the show. It's oh. amazing. And I saw there's a tree branch. It, there's right. like some sort of branch, but I like the person that shared it on Instagram I couldn't really see the whole body. Right. And I saw like a little piece of my like, oh my gosh, this this is so cool. How what is that? Like you you glue the eggshells to the branch?
1: Yes, um, so this is a whole other, other process that I'm working with where I'm eggshell-encrusting surfaces or objects. Um, I've created sculpture that way with found wood, but what I, I have greater aspirations but this is kind of a uh, a test run just so people can see yeah. but what i did was I, I found like a 12 foot long oak branch wow. walking to the studio yeah. one day wow. and i and i brought it to the studio and i had it in there for a long time and i hadn't worked and it's been in the studio for a few months but i decided well since i was going to do the lobby show i would yeah. like i would do this this piece yeah. that um yeah and i have this interesting like there's a running design up the branch that is brown shell that is dyed blue and then you'll see two different tones of blue and the difference is the inner or the outer of the shell so one of the things that's fun to work with is the convexity of the concavity of the shell and the difference of how the inside of a shell or the outside of a shell takes dye because oftentimes the inside takes dye more strongly than the exterior does Oh, wow, that's so cool. Yeah, no, so it's an interesting thing that, you know, you learn along the way. And so, you know, some in some of my pieces, I'm laying down shell in that way in order to expose either the inside or the outside of the shell, depending oh, on wow. what I'm doing or I why. I always, I mean, I've seen your work before, and I always thought it was only exterior, never the no, interior. No, That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, wow. for instance, I have this American flag up there that yeah. I did recently, right? And, of course, this, the American flag is meant to be showing that it's, like, crumbling. Yeah. And hopefully the janitor doesn't, like, sweep up the, yeah. the eggshells on the floor. Happen? It's happened no. before. <laughs> you need, like, one of those museum I know, right I know, I, knew I, need, I do. Yeah. I do. I should have. And last night I was supposed to, I should have put a sign down there. Anyway. But, um, no, but on that flag you'll see the red stripes are brown shells. Mm-hmm. And there is a kind of X running through it that's darker red than the other. And, um. And good. we just have three cameras in the studio and they're just. They oh. keep recording, so don't worry. Oh, okay, yeah. okay, okay, gotcha. Um, <clears throat> anyway, so you'll see the difference between the inside and the outside of a brown shell dyed red when you look at the flag. Yeah. You can see that difference. Oh, wow. But, you know, that difference also shows up because a lot of times with my pieces, I'm heavily sanding them when I'm, when I'm done. or mm. You know, it kind of depends, but yeah. the way the sandpaper hits the shell, whether it's the convex or the concave side, will give you a different effect. Oh, wow in terms of fascinating. Yeah, Yeah. no. So there's this whole other there's this yeah right, there's this whole material physicality phenomenon with the eggshell and like the crustiness of the surface that I can produce that are really fun to work with. Now of course it's a challenge because you know, but I'm also working with a really strong epoxy that I use to the eggshell to whatever surface it's attached to. Oh, and then and you like seal it? I seal it after usually, oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Now, but I have to say these emu shell pieces we were just talking about, I never seal. Never seal, okay. So you, those are, yeah. But again, I'm trusting uh, the epoxy. Yeah. Again, that also brings us to just, you know, a technical thing that I have to deal with is that I have to peel that inner lining of a shell in order to have the shell stick to the epoxy, not the lining. You know, uh, that yeah. inner, you know, it's essentially the yeah. placenta of the egg yeah. you know that has to get peeled away mm-hmm. if I'm exposing the back part you know the mm-hmm. outside yeah now sometimes I leave again that on because that actually takes dye really deeply oh it does yeah oh, wow.
0: it's really it's, it's like becomes like paper and do you have to send the the shell To add extra color like the more you sand, the the extra color it attaches to it no
1: no no necessarily i'm usually sanding after the processes are done in order to reveal some white of the shell yeah and this is like something you learn as you're like oh this is these are the something i've learned over the years of working in my studio like all these various processes around like how to handle the shell and like the lacquering process that I'm using, and yeah, yeah the thing that about the lobby show that I, I just want to point out to you that was really fun is that there is something about the light in that lobby. It's just like you know, it's got to be like LED fluorescent lighting, whatever. Mm-hmm. but there's something about my surfaces that the way the light is bouncing off those surfaces are causing the colors to pop.
0: In wow. a way that
1: I've never even seen before. In a way that's even better than in galleries oh I've my been gosh. in, when I've had spotlit yeah. pieces. That's amazing. And I don't know exactly why that's it like is. The standard lighting. That's like a well, I know lighting, right? It, right? No, I know wow. it's, and I think it has something. I think it's especially true at yeah. night, and I think it's especially true because the light's also bouncing against those glass yeah. walls and
0: probably reflects back and it in. reflects back in. Yeah
1: and because it's reflecting back in like shining maybe right at the piece and because mm-hmm. again these are surfaces that are had been lacquered but then you know they've been buffed so that they're matte oh, wow. usually i'm not sure if there's still enough reflex yeah. you know the re, just the the light Popping around—it's really amazing. That's oh, why I just—it's. I'm very pleased. I'll just put it that way. I'm really happy with the way the show looks. Yeah. And partially has to do with this optics effect that I hadn't anticipated. Wow. And
0: do you get does the natural light like the sunrise
1: or sunset? Does it
0: affect and like kind of transform the world? Well, I don't know that. I I can't say I've been there at sunrise. Oh, okay. <laughs> Have you been there at sunset?
1: Yeah, but you know the weather lately has not yeah, been, been that cloudy, well lit. Right? It's been kind of cloudy a lot. Okay. So. And again, mostly I'm around there in the evening, so I'm yeah. mostly experiencing oh, things at yeah. night. Yeah. But if i really to make sure to photograph it for our Instagram account. Oh, okay, yeah. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so anyway, so it's just, it's, it's just a fun side phenomenon. Yeah. It's, oh, yeah. it's something thank you
0: for sharing that. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you something. Um, with our previous guest, they talked about how getting a studio space transformed their work, and they went from, like, the standard practice to, like, being able to experiment with their medium do you think like having a you know like a separate workspace has helped your work in a bit oh it's been
1: amazing yeah oh yeah oh my god it, it's been quite honestly transformative oh, yeah and really um transformative in the sense of also my sense of self as an artist got transformed i had i'd always been working on eggshells so I was thought oh i didn't need much art space and i would always carve out like what i'd call studio space or a studio room in an apartment where i lived yeah like the kitchen table that's what I used to do use perform. yeah table. I mean at some point it would be the yeah. kitchen table but then it would move depending on where I was or what, I, what was possible you know so um, I never realized how having that independent other space would transform my sense of just being an artist yeah. it was really amazing it was and not only that but then you know it's really helped my process along especially when I'm doing a series of things, because I could do a whole series in a way that I could never do before. Yeah. Um, and this you know, um, really has an influence, for instance, when one's dying shells to do a series of pieces, dye over time gets weaker. And so the color won't be as strong. And so if I, if I can't either control that or, you know, or I have to like, create new dye or whatever like that, Doing a whole bunch of eggshells dyed at one time allows Mm -hmm. me to control all of that. So then I have the eggshells already dyed for the piece. Like, for instance, you know, that piece that we were talking about, this Ajax carrying the dead Achilles piece. You know, it's on a three foot square board that has like a four inch, it's a a two by four running around as a frame. So that gets covered because I always do the sides of my pieces as they're usually boards that are floating off the wall. So I don't frame my pieces. So there's always the edge that I'm also covering with eggshell. Oh, okay. But that 36, you know, one of the things I figured out. This is kind of a funny side thing is that a jumbo egg will generally cover a four-inch square space. Oh, wow! So you're basically using all of the all of the egg for like four-inch one egg, right? For, right. It will give you four-inch square space. We'll cover four. So when you're thinking about 36 inches by 36 inches, that's a lot of eggs, right? So it was like dozens of shells that had been dyed before I even put them onto that board. And they were all set to go of different tonal colors of orange. That is how I was, you know, how I usually work. You know, now because I have the studio where I could do that. Yeah. You know, so... um, yeah so it's so just... is there like a
0: lot of planning that goes into your work because like from the perspective as somebody that like is not familiar like when i first in your work um i thought it's like a very spontaneous process like you you know you break the shelves you glue the shelves and you paint on top of it but here you're talking about you know the ink you make everything from scratch and then you have to like pre-plan
1: to like dye which parts will later be used you know, it's, it's interesting because I would say, as my practice has grown, and maybe you could say matured, there has become much more planning than I had before because I'm now, it's only kind of happened really since about 2013, maybe 10 years ago. They started thinking systematically in a series Before that, most of my work had been more idiosyncratic, where I was doing what I call collages or assemblages with shells that were already broken. Mm -hmm. And so by that, there are pieces from that period, and I still do that now, where they look kind of whimsical, where they're just like a lot of eggshells of different designs, just kind of like, I call them my crazy collages, where Mm -hmm. they're kind of assembled onto a board with no inherent narrative... Uh, desire or design in mind. It's just like what's available and we're gonna do it and sometimes it's more of like a color compositional phenomenon rather than anything what I'm just, you know, and depending on whatever's on the eggs that are already designed that are then being broken apart and reassembled into something else. You know, so um, I still do that. Um, Mostly I'm doing that on those micro, what I'm calling micro collages, where I'm doing these little projects on these postcard-sized pieces of cardstock, um, where I'm doing that more, where I used to do that on larger pieces in the past. So now because I'm, yeah, now now I'm really thinking through like pieces, and so therefore you're going to get this whole pre-planning of like, okay, what's it going to take? You know so for instance, you know, as I'm getting ready for the show for this August, I've already made a couple of studies. And kind of figuring out like how do I want to approach this for these different pieces, and of course every piece is going to be somewhat different. But so, for instance, I've discovered in the second piece of the study that oh, I want to use duck shell for the sky motif in the piece because duck shell will give me a specific look Mm -hmm. because the duck shell is really smooth, so it'll give me uh, almost kind of like. I mean, you could, you could make it almost look like somewhat translucent in a way. Not Well, it's going to be against boards. You're not going to see through it. But, you know, just a, a duck shell, because of its smoothness and smoothness, when it's batiked, the way the colors show up against each other is different than even a chicken or a goose egg if you did the same technique. You know, so that's one of the yeah. things. You know, so, I'm, you know, by doing the studies, I've well, figured out, yeah. oh, a duck shell would work better here. How many... I don't know if it's like,
0: like, say, species or animals, but how many animals, eggs did you get to like experiment on and use for your life? Well, I've
1: only worked with bird eggs. I oh, mean, okay. so people have asked me if I ever worked on like lizard or crocodile or alligator, and oh, so well, I don't no. know that whether or not I would those, you even like, get those. <laughs> I don't know how you would get those. I mean, these other big bird eggs are are available just because they're being farmed in this country. Oh, okay. You know, and that's how you get these shells because yeah. they're like excess shells that they don't need yeah. them. You know. So, um, yeah, so pretty much, uh, I worked on most, that's interesting, you know, chicken, duck, turkey. Oh, wow. Uh, goose, swan, emu, cassowary, ostrich. Oh wow, and ostrich eggs are like pretty big, right? Yeah, I mean they're, they're relatively the largest bird. Yeah. You have the largest egg, yeah. Oh wow. Yeah.
0: That's so cool. Yeah. And another question, um, regards to chicken eggs, do you eat every chicken egg they use for your art, or? No,
1: I mean, no, because, um, if I'm having to dye the egg before it's broken apart, if I'm just using shells, I'm recycling shells out of my kitchen. Okay. You know, so I'm just saving those and using those. But if I'm having to design an egg yeah. that then gets used, either it's broken apart or kept whole, whatever, what happens is that actually the dye gets through the shell so that the egg you can't really eat. I wouldn't eat, eat it, the yeah. egg, I wouldn't eat that egg because yeah, it's got dye in it, you know what I mean? And you yeah. could sometimes see when you do clean out the egg afterwards that you know the like the white is colored
0: oh, wow.
1: like blue or red, or you know what I mean? You could yeah. see color the dye coming through, yeah. you know, because the, the funny thing about shells is that they are permeable yeah. because yeah. every shell has the opportunity that, I guess, oxygen can get through, you yeah. know, there are these tiny yeah. microscopic holes. Yeah, yeah. You actually see those holes as you dots in like, an ostrich egg. Oh, okay. If yeah. you look at an ostrich egg, there are these tiny dots you see all through the egg. Oh, and that's what it is. And that's what it is. It's okay. these air holes. Like It's just the brilliant design of a shell, what a oh. shell is. You know, they are, it's really yeah. amazing
0: technology. It's amazing <laughs> when you think and about I it. To circle back to that piece, the oak tree piece in the lobby show because uh-huh. when I saw that, I was so intrigued about the work. But I also thought, oh my god, this will look so cool as like a public large sculpture. Oh, well, thank you. So, oh, thank I was, you. I was, that's I that's like, oh my gosh, this was like bigger, it could be like interactive. Did you ever think about something? Oh like no, that? it's I'd I love to do that. No, that's the aspiration. That's yeah. that was
1: that's kind of a study to show people what's possible. Yeah. But no, I, in fact, I've been making some inquiries in the city about doing this. But yeah, no, I've already done a tree. Well, I've done a couple of these projects already. Okay. Like a friend of mine, um, oh, I, I go to Provincene a lot, and a friend of mine who hosts me there, we found on the beach a, I don't know, I think it was a 13-foot-long piece. It was a cedar trunk. I think it was a cedar tree, but it was the trunk that was found on the beach as driftwood. Oh, wow. And we carried it home, got it home from the beach, obviously with someone's car. How big was it? It's was like 13 feet long. Oh my gosh! It was just like you know, it's this long, yeah. slender. Well, anyway, I, I ended up, you know, eggshell encrusting it and kind of made it into a flagpole oh, wow. that he has up on his house. I mean, oh, it's still there. It's still there. Yeah. Oh, no, wow. this is this uh, this happened like mm, three now, maybe four years ago is when I made it, and it's still there. And it's well, they put it away in the winter, but they take it out. I did lacquer it, so it's covered. Yeah. But I did do another tree where I'm living on the back of our yard, which was like a two-story tall fir tree, that I didn't do any covering on it at all. And so over time, the thing it's kind of a great experiment because of the epoxy's holding the shell there of the shell that's on there. And the weird thing is is that the brown and the white ink shell is all kind of muted to this off tan color. Like the brown shell is no longer brown. Oh, right. Like I had done these designs so the with brown changed. and white yeah. shell but the brown kind of faded. Oh, wow. And and um yeah, Is it, so it just sunlight or just weather? I think it's sunlight it's or sunlight. weather or may, maybe both. I don't know. Yeah. You know, it's kind of funny, but you yeah, know, I really have this idea of creating like tr- what I'd call tree totems where you know, I've noticed for instance there's a couple of these tree trunks in the area where I live, you know, a tree had died and the city came through and basically lopped off all of the trunks and just left like there's one at first of manila yeah you know near the studio and um it was an oak tree and so it's like two stories tall and i would love to cover it in eggshell and do some kind of like a design on it you know it it can be kind of anything but one of the things i realized with the tree trunk is you've got those big ovoids that show up where the branches had been and so they become a de facto kind of already Egg shaped oh, wow. phenomenon, yeah. you know, when exactly. you think about yeah. it, you know what I mean. But I was thinking about that one, but I thought that would be great if those became big eyes, yeah. you oh, know gosh, what I mean? That looks so cool. You know what I mean? So, I mean, but something, but I really have this, you know, because I, I, you know, I, I pitched this proposal to Socrates Sculpture Puck a couple of years ago, and they didn't take it. But you know, I'm really interested in doing something like this where I do these tree totem phenomenon where you know, they become a piece of public art and maybe oh, in a place where people wouldn't expect. Yeah, that would um, be Yeah, so it's, it's it's we'll see. You know, I mean, uh, this is something I do want to start working on. When
0: I saw the oak tree that you did for the, your current solo show, the first thing that reminded me was um, Kusama's trees at the botanical garden that they did. Oh. They did, like, six of them with her work, like, wrapped with the dots. Oh, if really? I seen that, I said, oh, my gosh, this, but, like, a thicker trunk, centered in the middle of a park where people can like maybe touch if it's allowed or yeah. take pictures or if there's like a hole in the tree can walk through i thought it would be so whoever's listening if you can please reach out to yes, the eggman please. and make it happen This would be so cool it would be amazing no it would be
1: amazing and and uh you know it's not an expensive thing to do either i mean yeah. eggshells are they're not that expensive yeah. it's mostly time but yeah but the thing that also was amazing to me again this is Here's here's a phenomenon that I'll share as being an artist. Sometimes my artwork presages something that happens in my life, mm-hmm. or I do a piece of art and I become and I and I realize an understanding about myself that I didn't have until I look at this piece of art. Yeah. And one of the things you know along this line was that I was working on this tree. Yeah, I don't know, maybe it was in 2018, was it? I think it was in the end of summer of 2018. In that fall. I went to Australia and there I'm looking at Aboriginal art in these major museums there. And I'm seeing these absolutely amazing tree carved, you know, Aboriginal pieces that are in almost the same color story as eggshell, white and brown oh, wow. eggshell. And I was just like flabbergasted. And yeah. It was like such an inspiration, especially, I like, mean, the beautiful carvings that these folks had done. And they were on again, I mean, they weren't two stories tall but they were like really long you know these long you know pieces that were probably you know those were probably 10 12 14 feet high these things that I saw in this piece but I thought oh my god there it is it was fascinating to me that I didn't know that they did that kind of work I mean I always knew about the sand painting etc but I didn't know about this and I knew about painting on tree bark but I didn't know this phenomenon of like carving you know these images on trees yeah. that were done it was really oh, I know that either. yeah so, it was so that amazing. was that was really amazing to see so again this is you know the i don't know this thing we tap into when these ideas come up and then there they are somewhere else yeah you know out of totally different context wow.
0: you know and i saw a picture on your instagram that i think this might have been a few years ago where um, you were one of the artists that did the eggs outside of the Columbus Circle? Right, right. That's yeah, really I participated called.
1: in what was called the Big Egg Hunt. Okay. Yeah, it was a London um, NGO that was for Asian elephants. I uh-huh. think it was specifically uh, an NGO to support Asian elephants. And they had done this in London, they brought it to New York, and the artists, we had to submit a design, and you were given a, I don't know, it was about three-foot-tall kind of plastic egg form that was attached to a stand, that then would get attached to a plinth when mm-hmm. it was being shown publicly but it was this big project that um it was a it was a fundraiser through an auction an oh, online okay. public auction so um yeah and so i did what i did was i did an eggshell encrust I eggshell encrusted the, the egg, egg yeah and i did the globe yeah the, the you know saw, this globe yeah. and again uh, within that process I was working again with convexity and concavity so Mm -hmm. all the land area in that piece was brown shell the exterior of brown shell except in the arctic areas or in antarctic areas Mm -hmm. and then the water all the oceans were the inside of shell so i was playing off the convexity and the concavity of the shell between land and water and then what i would do is i I was what i do is i take the uh, dye i use and working it as a watercolor medium to do the top of back topographical painting yeah. to give you a topographical globe. Because also, for instance, all of the... Oh, here's just the, just another thing about, you know, to me, like, the earth is our mother, mm-hmm. okay? I agree, yeah. I come out of a religion because I come out of, like, the Orthodox tradition, though we were, you know, Ukrainian Catholics, mm-hmm. part of the church that reestablished ties with Rome, but, you know, the... So I come out of a the same actually they come out of the same kind of church that Andy Warhol comes out of.
0: Oh
1: wow. Right? So you know if you know what Byzantine iconography looks like, you mm-hmm. can understand his portraiture and the crazy colors he uses that seem off tone. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you talking about Warhol like the screen prints. Yeah, all the screen prints, yeah, all yeah, those portraits, the celebrity that. portraits, yeah, right? Yeah. They're icons. Yeah. Because he comes out of a tradition of icons. Absolutely. I come out of a tradition of icons. Yeah. So, to me, the earth is the ultimate mother. So, my eggs that I do of the topographical globe are icons of the earth. And whenever I do images of the earth, it's always in topographical imagery, never as a political landscape. Mm-hmm. Because I don't, you know what I mean? And, and so, it's all, and in fact, I did a sculptural piece where I took a school globe and I ripped it off, ripped the paper off. Uh kept it and then resurfaced the form of the globe with eggshell into the topographical globe and showed it with the torn paper map below it as though the earth had shed its map and and itself came through it's a a friend of mine who's a collector has this piece
0: and do you have all the like all the images of like this the works we're talking about on your Instagram?
1: Yes. Now that for this particular Globe one you know was from a, several years ago and okay. so whether or not you know I have something on Instagram on that one not sure. Mm-hmm. I don't know about that because I, I don't think I've seen that it sounds really cool. Yeah yeah I, I, somewhere in my past I do have images of it or I'll have to ask him to like do oh, it okay. but, yeah, so, you know, but there is that, you know, and, I, and I've thought of, like, redoing that again, yeah. you know, that image. Oh, my God, that will be amazing. You
0: know? And I have, I mean, I can't even fathom the, like, the answer to this, but how many
1: eggs do you need for, like, a sculpture like that? Well... You know, it depends on the size, of it. Again, yeah. the size of the piece and you have to, you know, if we want to do this calculation of the jump away covers, yeah, four square in. yeah. inches, then yeah. you know you have to just do the math.
0: Oh my gosh. Oh, <laughs> yeah. but, but that's like, to me, the fascination of your work. Because when I first seen it um, was right when I got to Art 150 and I did the curated that show uh-huh. in a large gallery. And I remember seeing your work and then seeing people interact with your work on then opening night and like hearing the questions they're asking like each other that were there, it was like to me it was like the texture, the color, how the light, you know, vibrates off of it. And then I thought and then I remember also like people's reaction to like, Oh my gosh, like this is eggshell, is this not eggshell? And then I remember when I first seen it, I thought it was like I thought it was like a very thin layer of clay, like I couldn't figure out or glass that were all glued together and then cracked. And then like reading like your artist statement said, Oh my gosh, this is and then like you have this whole experience like Oh my gosh, it's eggshell. How many eggshells? This is so cool. Like, how do you get the idea? And, like, the more you dive in, the more fascinating it is. You know what I mean? Well, so, right, So, I, rem- I mean, I still remember it was like that greenish, probably like 12 by 12 piece, like right at the entrance to the left. But I remember, like, to me, like your work, there's so much. Oh, right. It was than. probably
1: one of those HDMU yeah, shell pieces. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. right right yeah. Yeah, it was from that series because I think I was working on them
0: then yeah yeah that's really cool but yeah like seeing people like seeing like having my experience with it and like having all these questions and seeing the next person walk down to it and like have that same experience but like from a different perspective asking different question. like like you need an artist talk at your next show please <laughs> well I'm wondering whether so cool. or not I might want to organize
1: one for the lobby show when I come back you know this is one thing I, I was just thinking about oh, today sure? yeah maybe I should that's really just cool just to now. just like Go through and just, just I could just talk about process. Or yeah, because
0: I mean it's endless. It's oh like, yeah, I you know yeah, no, I can go on and on. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, but in a good way. Like it's so fascinating. Like every piece, and I also saw as well. Um, there was a piece that was like curved on the wall. Right. Oh, right. That was really cool. Cause you,
1: I'll make sure to include a picture. Um, yeah. No, it's yeah. an interesting thing. And again, that yeah. was just you know, a lot of what. I mean, I used to do mostly, but I'm still doing. Is that um. Because I was recycling eggs that were in my studio, I would only use wood that was recycled. Oh. So I wasn't buying new wood. I yeah. mean, um, and so um, that was a street find. Oh wow. I was living in the Guanas at the time, and I found it up on Park Slope, literally on the corner of like Fifth Avenue and Union Street. One day I was shopping for food and. All of a sudden, it was on the street, and I was like, wow, this is fascinating. Oh, my God. And so I so had cool. no idea what it was for, what it had been used for. It was just left out. who so mm. was, was right by the trash can, so I know it was being discarded. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I just picked it up and, you know, did this. Again, that's one of those crazy collage pieces that I, you know, that I talk about where the inside has all of these different designs within it you know, different things that are kind of thrown together of what I had available. And are you able to use, like, any surface,
0: any material with the eggs, or because, like, how it attaches itself, or... Well, it, it
1: obviously has to be something that the epoxy will attach oh, okay. to, you know. that's it's, it's really that, you know, working with the epoxy I work with. So, you know, but the, the epoxy I work with, though, is, you know... It's a paste when it is, so it's you know it can go onto any surface really. I mean anything yeah. that's you know durable. Yeah. You know that's all. I mean you know, so um, yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. And also wanted to ask you, um,
0: do you have like any artists that you look up to that you get inspired by?
1: Oh yeah, there's a there's a ton. It's interesting as you said that my first answer is Paul Clay. Yeah. Oh totally, totally. Oh my god, he's one of my favorites. Yeah, I mean, there's certain other artists who are, yeah, I mean, Paul Clay, um I mean, there's a series of even um, contemporary artists whose work I really like. Um, oh, you know, here's, uh, what is his name? Oh, geez, Louise. I have to move on. I'm thinking about, um, there's this amazing Indian, English Indian artist um, who does these, Crazy large pieces that Deitch was showing. Anish Kapoor. No, no. Um. Jeffrey. No, I'm gonna have to. I'm, I'm going have to look. Um, uh, 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 uh Rakib Shaw. Oh, I'll have to check it out. Yeah, look him up. It's yeah. interesting. He's got an English last name, Rakib Shaw. Um, his process is actually cloisonné, which is crazy. So the imagery is created by how Cuisiné is done with metal, tin metal. And then instead of inlaying gems, which he does do sometimes, he's pouring car paint and creating these absolutely intensive, I mean, the color that he works with. Look up Rakeem Shaw, um, like the Garden of Earthly Delights. And it's, it's also highly eroticized, crazy imagery beautiful though oh, wow. absolutely
0: beautiful if it's who i think it is i think i saw his work at the armory show at the jagged center last year he might have it's kind of similar like the frank Stell a little bit no or maybe i have the the wrong person but if it's what i think it is it's amazing well it is amazing yeah. but i'm not sure we yeah we're,
1: yeah we're, we're, I, have, no. I have
0: to i have to yeah I mean, um I mean, you,
1: I mean i'll be right yeah so um yeah so those are i mean too often you know for some reason, because I'm I'm about to go to Spain, I'm, I'm thinking about you know Picasso. Um, and of course, I you know love Picasso. You know, but one of the things, for instance, that affected me most strongly once was when I was years ago in Madrid mm-hmm. at the Reina Sofia, is oh. where the Guernica is, and to see the first drawing yeah. of Guernica, his first oh, wow. impulse to do it to me was like looking at the holy grail oh because gosh. to me there's something exciting about those first drawings because yeah. you can see like the impulse the ideas the the quick the the ambition l- too. well it's guy? right but it's also like the quick lines yeah. you can see the energy the impulse the yeah. you know what you mean the emotion going on but the energy of the line and just like and you could see also that you know, the very first impulse is that one ends up being yeah. the final piece. Yeah. And it goes through a couple of changes. So that, to me, was really... There was something about that that really sticks with me to today. No, you know what I mean? Beautiful. I mean, I've been there three times, and it gets better and better. Yeah. And it's crazy that it's, like, yeah. so much more to go. Oh, yeah, and it's... And what an amazing museum. I oh, know. my God. You know, and know, so for instance, I love Calder. I love Miro. Oh God, I could go on and on. You know, one, one painter who's a contempt, you know, who's alive today, um, Paul Resica, is an amazing he's he shows in New York and Provincetown. An amazing painter, you know, people like Hoffman, um, you know, I mean it can go on and on and
0: on. I mean, <laughs> I, mean I have a question, since you're talking about Provincetown, with your upcoming show Um, Do you mind sharing us like the gallery and the info so people like listening now can, you know,
1: do a little reservation in their calendar and make sure to attend it. Sure. I mean, it's going to be at the William Scott Gallery in Provincetown at the end of August, and you know, I unfortunately don't know the exact date. I know it would be probably the it's the second or third Friday of the month. Okay. it It would open. Well, you know I what? know it's the Friday of Carnival the Week. Carnival?
0: Okay. It's the Friday so of Carnival in, Week. Plug in your Instagram so people can start following now and <laughs> yeah. keep up with it, so they'll know like, the exact yeah, day Yeah, the exact day we'll have to look at. Yeah. What's your
1: Instagram? It's my um, given name, so it's Paul underscore, uh, underscore Warhun. How w- you spell that? W-I-R-H-U-N. Okay, okay. Yeah. And do you have a website, too, you want to share with us? Yeah, same, paulwarhun.com, oh, same no. name. And are you open to, like, commissions or... Oh, sure. Like yeah, I'm open to commissions. It depends, you know. It really Perfect. Depends. Yeah. Perfect. Now, mind you, you know, I'm also interested in doing, like, full-scale interiors.
0: Oh, wow. You
1: know, like, for instance, you know, if you look at my show, you'll see these, like, uh, squids swimming around underwater in these different yeah. panels of, like, really intense blues and greens. I mean, I just thought it would be amazing to do a whole bathroom. Yeah. I was uh, talking, I was thinking like maybe walls, like. You know, different yeah. sea fish. So the whole walls inside are all just like you're in an undersea oh, world or whatever. That would be so cool. Yeah, yeah, that would like be a fun. big
0: like functional sculpture that, you know, you can use it as a sculpture, but it's like, you know, well, that be amazing. All kinds of ideas. Oh, wow. That's <laughs> really Whoever's listening, please. Be That's we, right. We so we, how about life. we, you
1: know, we, we're imagining an eggshell
0: encrusted world. Yeah. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. And people like, I'm sure when they first see it, they're thinking like, oh, my gosh. Where did you get this tile? Is it imported from where? And you <laughs> know, whoever the homeowner is, we we'd like,
1: oh, this is actually like no way. You know what I mean? But that's right. what I'm saying. Like, no, no, your it work really takes thing. you. It is fun. fun. I mean, one, sure. one the the one last thing I'll say, you know, um, I don't know if we're winding down, but one thing about the whole eggshell phenomenon and the use in terms of you know just looking at contemporary life is yeah. that everything in the in my pieces is already broken. Okay. So there's a phenomenon going on when you look at my pieces that it's a crackled surface, but in certain pieces, I mean, especially when you get larger shells, like the emu shells, like every, you can really see the cracks, you know, because these are big, bigger yeah. shells, but the cracks, are, you know, look more pronounced. So, but the thing that I guess I'm trying to convey is that, you know, our wor- you know we 're in a moment where we 're kind of feeling our world is falling apart, mm-hmm. and so there 's a sense already that the world 's already fallen apart, and yeah. so i 'm reconstructing a world after it 's fallen apart well, that's a thing. you know and 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 that also in a weird way again, when I talk about like how my art presages my life or like is a is a is a you know reflection of my life
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know there are times in my life where I felt like my world fell apart. Oh, wow. You know, and so and having to like reconstruct yeah. my life after it kind of really fell apart, or you know, for all kinds of reasons that I don't want to go into my whole biography to let you know why. Yeah. But just having that sense, my world fell apart, and having to reconstruct it. That's beautiful. You know, many of us have that experience. Yeah. Times, you know, and so I just you know it, it you know it's kind of, you know you know, tripping toward the future as it were, or you know, trying to grapple with the possibility of the future, you know, within that reality. You know. So Yeah, and that's the other thing that's just kind of fascinating in terms of then how that reflects in the pieces where, you know, there are pre done eggs because you know, you know, cutting back to what we were originally talking about, this cultic use of eggs. Is implies a meaning that the egg is not just an object but it's a subject mm-hmm. because it's not just a thing but it's a happening yes. like an egg happened yeah. you know it just didn't like appear I it happened know you guess. know what I mean and it happened for a reason you know what I mean and if it was fertile it happened for another reason you know in, in that regard and so there's like meaning imbued and it's just reality and so when I think about then you know, I'm working on something that is kind of, in a sense, that it's more of a subject than an object. Then the 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 product of my handiwork is a fen- is a phenomenon and a function and a world unto itself. Mm-hmm. You know, and in the again, that original cultic belief. You know that I'm coming out of had these eggs being kind of like the cosmos itself is in an egg, yeah. like the whole yeah. world is in an egg and. And this stretches into, you know, esoteric beliefs yeah. where the micro is the macro and the macro is in the micro, right? So the egg becomes the representation of all of reality yeah. in the sense that all of reality comes out of an egg. If there's that, you know, that ancient, be- you know, there's these mm-hmm. really ancient beliefs that the world kind of comes out of a yeah, hatched yeah. egg, kind of thing, right? So, so then, you know, so that's a world unto itself, and if this world gets broken. And this world gets broken and then you know, applied next to another world that was broken yeah. on a piece of board that I'm putting together. Then I'm assembling worlds that had been and putting them together in a different new way. So again, it's this notion that kind of draws back to the, it's not necessarily ancient design, but it's for a new world mm-hmm. view. So we're breaking apart the world to reimagine yeah. the possibility of what it would look like reconstructed. Yeah. So that's, again, some of what I'm bringing through when I'm looking at my pieces, based on this background that I come out of. You know, and also then, like, thinking about that background. And it's, you know, it's original intent and meaning and how it still informs my thinking now. So and that's the thing that, you know, to me, becomes, then, interesting Mm
0: -hmm.
1: in that regard, in, in, in terms of how my, you know, this, the visual how the visual speaks to us to the it's almost like how the visual speaks to the unconscious yeah. self you know in ways that we don't necessarily apprehend yeah because I'm sure it's true with your art as well is that you know you may look at something and have a whole understanding and meaning and experience knowing what it took to create this piece and then someone else walks up to it and has a whole different uh, yeah. world. Yeah. A whole other phenomenon yeah. happens yeah. that you cannot yeah. have Adam, even yeah. had a, an idea about. Yeah, You know, and that's the amazing yeah. thing about art, obviously. Mean, Absolutely, you yeah. Know? A different perspectives, yeah. Yeah, you yeah, know, so. Yeah, I'm
0: excited. Um, after your show in August, I definitely want to have you back. Okay. To about how that went, and also a little bit more... As you are mentioning, like, you know, how life has affected your work and how you went through some tough times and that, you know, transformed your work into different pieces. So I'd love to have you back and hear more about that. that has been a, sure. amazing. It's been so good to have you here. Thank you so much for being with us um just to double check again for everybody listening instagram paul spell the last name for us because it's a little complicated that's right w-i-r-h-u-n and the same thing for the website just put a dot com in the end right right exactly Exactly. all right thank you so much for being here paul the eggman well thanks
1: well thank you thank you for having me we meet again later
0: later in august
1: this year right (laughs) yes sir for part two thank you all right thank you Bye bye. all right ciao